Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. We're going to continue in our 50 Days of Freedom. Turn to Revelation. We're going to look at chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. I want to encourage us to uh, use the sermon notes that are provided. And as we go through the message over these eight weeks, for every single eight weeks, but especially today, we're going to look through a lot of different references. There's going to be a lot of different cross-references that will be helpful for you to have it right in there. And also because everything that we're talking about on Sunday, we're going to be going deeper in that at Life Group. And those of you who remember, this past week at Life Group, your Life Group leader said, hey, reflect, remember what we talked about on Sunday? And you're like, uh, not really. So it'd be helpful to take some notes, have that ready to go over as we go Uh, into Life Group this coming week. So again, it's uh, in the mobile app, and those of you uh, who know are in Life Group, you know it's probably sent out in your Life Group WhatsApp group. And also, I wanted to take a moment just to encourage some of us, because in the last two weeks or so, some of us, we've been struggling a lot. We've been encountering difficulties, challenges, discouragements, apathy, uh, circumstances that have just taken us down and out, and just feeling extra tired. And Part of us, we're like, God, what is going on? I thought you wanted us to experience freedom. Well, I have some bad news and some good news for you. The bad news is that Satan is trying to discourage you. Now, the good news is that Satan is trying to discourage you. And you're like, huh? How is that good news? Well, the good news is that the reason why Satan is trying to discourage you is because God's working in your life. And I hope that when we're going through this whole season, and you're struggling, you're going through things that you expect, like we've been sharing over the last month or so, you expect opposition to come. And when opposition is coming, that means God is trying to do something, and Satan is trying to do whatever he can to prevent you from experiencing through those good things. But I want to encourage us, let's endure, let's commit to the process, let's be faithful, let's commit to hearing God's word, internalizing it, coming to life group, sharing about those things, praying for one another, and exercising faith every single time we have the opportunity and believe that by the time this eight weeks is done, that God is going to do something incredible. All right, so turn to your neighbor and say, let's believe that together. And uh, reminder, we're memorizing verses together, and so hopefully you know that Psalm uh, 139, verse 14, you are what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very, very well. And as you know that, you believe it. You're like, okay, Lord, no matter what circumstantially is happening, I know who I am. I know my identity in Christ. I'm going to walk in that freedom. So hopefully uh, you're going to experience that together. Last week, we talked about how warfare matters. And the one thing was that the readiness for spiritual warfare brings fruitfulness to our spiritual welfare. And as we look in the, in the context of the spiritual warfare, we're saying warfare matters. We're entering into this. Now today, we're going to talk about winning the battle. Now there is a battle going on, and that, that's great, and we have to know the reality of it. We have to know our response to it. But then how do we actually win this battle that we're in? And I want to believe that Scripture gives us a lot of different tools and means to actually win this battle, truths that we have to believe to win this battle effectively. But it's not going to be easy. We know that from last week we talked about, remember, every single week is going to build on top of itself. So if you miss a Sunday, go back and watch the message because every Sunday is going to build on top of the previous one. Last week, 
we learn about how Satan is the deceiver. He is the father of lies, and he loves to tear us down. So, of course, he's not going to let us go by easily. And if we understand that there's someone trying to constantly deceive us, then winning this battle is not going to be easy. We're always going to have this kind of opposition. But when we think about like spiritual battle, it's like cosmic powers. You know, Ephesians 6, we memorize that verse. Like our battle is not going to be flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and the cosmic powers of this present darkness. It's like, whoa, what is that? How do, how, do, how do I win the battle against that? Let's make it a little bit more practical, and let's put it in the context of any time you are deceived in our day-to-day life. Don't raise your hand. How many of you are prone to losing things? Or how many of you are prone to getting things stolen from you? Your phone, your wallet, other personal items that you just happen to leave behind? It's like really frustrating. And it really messes with your life. Because, you know, if you lose your wallet, what happens? You got to get, get a new HKID. You have to get new credit cards. You have to, like, you lost some cash. If you're a student, you have to get your new student ID because then you can't even get to your room. It's like really frustrating. And it really messes with your life. And that's only if you lose your wallet. But I want to make it a little bit more difficult. And what what would it be like if you lost your identity? Like who you are, your your ID is not only stolen and taken away just for the money, but someone actually uses your identity for malicious purposes, to take things from you. That's a whole different level. And some of us are a little bit more familiar with identity theft than others. But I wanted to make it more practical. This is something that people deal with on a day-to-day basis, and it ruins their lives. And and hopefully, as you see the consequences, the physical, worldly consequences of identity theft, we can begin to see the the spiritual consequences of being deceived in who we are in Christ. So I want to watch a, a video. It's a new segment about this person who got their identity stolen for over a decade and the dramatic consequences that they face. So we'll watch it together. Wow. Amazing. I don't know if any of us, what would you do if you got your identity stolen? I I would just feel powerless. I would feel stuck. I would feel so angry at the whole system. And, And I would be like banging, I would literally, I would go with myself to the IRS and like bang on the door and be like, give me my life back. And I don't know how many of you have experienced this, not just, you know, that was in the U.S. context, but it's very much the case here, too. Like, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you got an email of, like, oh, your old, you know, aunt, four times removed, left an inheritance of millions of dollars for you. If you only give, you know, verify your account with $10,000, then you can get your money. Or I don't know if any of you gotten a text message saying, hey, you have a package delivered, but you forgot to pay for it. Enter your credit card information and we'll get that to you. And those are like little things, but imagine if you were, your whole identity was stolen and you couldn't do anything and everyone who thought you were who you were is billing you for all this and it totally ruins your life. And I think what he said at the end was, was on point. I mean, in a very worldly sense, he's like, I wish they could just get us a, social, a new social security number, which is you know, a very important ID in the U.S., and I wish they could just give me a new one. I could just start over. And I wonder how many of us, we feel that way about our, our spiritual lives, or not even our spiritual just our whole lives. 
And all the things that we've been going through throughout our whole lives, we're like, God, I just really wish I never had to go through that. I wish I could just start over. I wish I could just be free from all the, the lies and the deceit that I've been through all throughout my life. I wish I could just start over. And for many of us, we feel powerless and authorityless to do anything about it. And that's the, that's the sad thing is, so for many of us, we operate just as this man does. Well, he's powerless in the sense of the world because he can't deal with the government and all this kind of stuff. But we, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have God as your father. He is the creator of the universe. He is the authority over all things. How much more do we have access to that authority to wipe our slates clean, to say you are a new creation, a new person. You do not have to live with the stolen identity or the brokenness in your past that you've had to live with all your life. That's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to access today as a church, as a believer, that I want to believe that every single one of us, we have access to that authority. We can overcome any kind of deceit. And it's through God's word and through Jesus Christ that we have access to that. And I want to tease that out as we go through this message. So if there's one thing that we can remember from this morning is that we can win the battle of freedom against deception because of Christ's salvation. We can win the battle of freedom against deception because of Christ's salvation. Hopefully you've turned to Revelation 12. We're going to look at 6 verses 7 through 12. Uh, and we're going to start with verses 7 to 9. We're going to look at these two parts. We're going to talk first about recognizing Satan's deception. Like for us to win the battle, you can't just go in and say, you know, hey, let's do this. You have to recognize what kind of different schemes or guises that Satan used. And we talked a little bit about that last week, but we want to go deeper into that and see not only what does he use, but how does it affect us? Because you can know all about the weapon, but if you don't know how it affects you, if you don't know, if you connect the dots between what Satan does and how that has broken into our lives, then we're going to be totally misinformed. We're not going to know how to actually win the battle. We're going to read verses 7 to 9 in Revelations 12. It says this, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. There's a war going on, and we saw that in Ephesians 6. Your, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So here it is. Here's a glimpse of what that battle looks like. And, and you know, sometimes we just read this passage, and we read, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation. You're like, what is this about? <laughs> like, I have no idea what is going on, because it's talking about these cosmic powers, like Michael is mentioned just a couple other times in Scripture, but not much is really given about who this angel Michael is. And there's not much we can really specify. There's not really a scholar who says, I, I know exactly what this war is talking about. Like, there's no scholar that can say, I know exactly what event. I can map this to a specific history. I know exactly how this is all going to turn out. But there are a couple things that we do know that we can conclude about this passage. The first thing that we know, obviously, is that there's a war going on, right? None, none of us can deny it. There's a war going on. There's a battle going on, good against evil, right against wrong. We also know that the dragon is the devil. It's Satan. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear in the passage. It talks about how 
you know, the dragon, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. So that, that's, who, that's who we're up against. We also know that the good guys win, eh? yeah? Like Marvel, you know, you watch any kind of Marvel movie, you're like, you, you know, some of us are like so bored of Marvel movies because like, ah, oh, we, we know what happens. The good guy's going to win every single time, except for Infinity War. That was like, oh my gosh, heartbreaker. But you're like, oh, but there's Endgame still, so the good guy's got to win at the end. So the good guys win. And then the last thing is that the devil gets thrown down. The devil gets thrown down. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is a typical, you know, good guy versus bad guy story. It's like a Marvel movie. Woohoo, we win at the end. But, you know, we missed that little part. Where does he get thrown down? Anyone notice that? He gets thrown down to earth. And that has lots of ramifications for us. Lots of ramifications for us. And we don't know, again, what time period of this is. This is a future war that's going on. That's a, a current war that's going on in the spiritual realm that we have no idea about. If that's something already happened, past, present, and future. And in some ways, we already know that Satan has been thrown down. He's already been defeated. But what we do know is that Revelation, this book, has so many allusions to the Old Testament. And one allusion that we have to know is that when John, the author of Revelation, he points to the fact that this dragon is also called the ancient serpent. When you look at that section uh, of the ancient serpent, you can't help, and the readers at that time would have immediately made the connection that this is referring back to Genesis 3. If you remember Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve were tempted by whom? A serpent, an ancient serpent. And I want to read that passage for us in Genesis 3, because we're going to look at and see, because Revelation talks about how this enemy who is called the devil and saint, the deceiver of the whole world, if he's being thrown down to earth, then we have to understand him being on earth. What kind of deception are we experiencing and how has that impacted our lives? So let's read Genesis 3, 1 to 5. It'll be on the screen. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the fall. This is the great deception of all humankind. If there's any deception that has impacted us, this is it. This is original sin. This is the original deceit. This is the original fall that all of those things, those consequences then filter down through all of Adam and Eve's offspring, which are you and me, all of us. We face some of these issues. And I guarantee you, Satan is not done. He was not going to be like, okay, I deceived Adam and Eve. I'm done, you know, job well done. No, he's going to continue to deceive every single one of us. He's going to continue to work in every single one of us. And there are several consequences of this deception that we have to be aware of, that we have to look into. And I'm going to give us, I think, four or five of them here. The first one is that we are deceived in our understanding of truth. Satan, his first word to Adam and Eve was what? Did God really say? Did God really say that? Are you sure? Especially in this generation, I think postmodernism and relativism is much, much more prevalent than ever before. To the point where you don't know what truth really is. 
you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you don't trust the media anymore? Because you don't know if what they're reporting on is factual or it's one person or one group of people or an organization trying to promote their agenda to get you to buy into something or not. Some of us are very skeptical about ads and media, not even governments, but now just like companies, because we're like, oh, they're, they're just trying to do that to get my money, just to tell me to buy something. Like every single day we're bombarded by different things to try to get us to do something. And we are deceived in our understanding of what is it. We, we don't know what's right or wrong. We don't know what's true or not true anymore. And the consequence is that we're deceived. Now, this lays the foundation of all the other consequences, because if we don't know what's true, whether it's about society, whether it's about ourselves, whether it's about our relationships, our family, then it's going to be very difficult for us to actually fight against those things. So if our first deception is in our understanding of the truth, the second one is in our humanity, in our humanity, in who we are, in how God created us, in our limitations. You'll notice that the other thing that the serpent said to Eve was what? You will not surely die. You will surely not die. There's no way that that's actually going to happen to you. You're going to be great. You could be like God. You could, you could know good and evil just like God, and he's limiting you from these things. And that sounds really familiar to what society tells us every single day. It tells us you could be better. You can be stronger. You could do more. Be more productive. Climb higher in the corporate ladder. It tells you all these things to make yourself someone bigger than you are right now. Like, can you imagine an ad that doesn't say something like that? Like, every single ad says, oh, you could be more beautiful. You could live longer. You could, like, be healthier. You could, you could be this perfect person if you only buy into these ideas. Like, you know, all those beauty ads, like, oh, if you just put this ointment on, you're going to look like you're 20 years old for the rest of your life. Can, can you imagine an ad saying the opposite? Like, you're going to die tomorrow. Live your best life today, right? That's something more like you hear on a Sunday or preaching, right? You're not going to find that from an ad. Why? Because that doesn't sell. Because <laughs> you're going to die tomorrow. Why buy their product? You're wasting your money. And, and, and the world and Satan doesn't want us to believe that we're limited. It doesn't want us to believe that we can't do these things. That we're, we're frail, we're human, we're fragile. Like the world is constantly telling us, you're, you're self-sufficient, you're able. I mean, no wonder how many of us in Hong Kong and work culture, we're burnt out over time. Like how many of us, we believe Hong Kong work culture is healthy for you? None of us. But we buy into it. Why? You're like, oh, why are you going to get that higher salary job even though it's going to ask a couple more hours for you every single week? Because it's higher salary, you could get better, and it promises you a better life. But does it really? How many of us, we have joy every single time we go to work? How many of us, we have anxiety every single time we go to work? How many of us, we're stressed, and not just working, but like in school, from your family, all the pressure that you have to achieve, to do more, to, to be stronger on your own. It affects us. And some of us, we're like to the point where it's affecting our mental health. And we're like, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to deal with this? I mean, I, I struggle with a lot. I, I remember in high school, like for my college entrance essays that you have to write, especially in the U.S. system, you have to write these essays, personal statement, like 
you know, pretty much like summarize who you are, what you stand for. My main phrase was, I stand for self-sufficiency. I was like, I am the ultimate, I, I was pre-Christian back then, all right? So I thought, I thought self-sufficiency was like the best trait you could ever have, right? Like, I am my own man. I don't need my parents. I can be independent, all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, and that, that's what I believe. But somewhere along the line, I, 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 I burnt out. And even after I became Christian, that was something that stuck with me for so long. I, I worked in consulting for a little bit. I did like IT consulting. Don't worry, I mean, I don't know how many consultants out here, okay? You, you log your hours and you do that to build a client, right? But I'm, I'm so self-sufficient that like, you know, in the tension that I felt with ministry and family, I decided like, I wanna maximize my productivity. So you know what I did? I consulted myself, my own life. I started logging my own hours Every 30 minutes, I will write down what I did during that time to make sure I was being productive with that amount of time. Yeah, I know. You're like, you have a, you have a crazy pastor, like a psychotic pastor, a little bit. Like, and, and I realized, like, why was I doing that? It was because I so desperately wanted to be stronger, more productive, like more competent, seen by other people in a certain way, so that I tried to maximize my energy and my time and everything that I could do in order to produce more so that I could somehow shore up my identity. And man, I realized I was so deceived. I was so messed up thinking that I can somehow be this person, this person who could conquer the world by myself. And you know, you know what happens, you burn out. And you just die, and I, I, like, I, I was burnt out to the point where I couldn't track my time anymore because I was so tired. I was like so burnt out. Like, I'll track my Oh, forget it. I can't. I was just like, forget it. Because I missed too many times. I'm like, oh, forget it. And I don't know how many of us, like you probably don't go to that. Please don't go to that extreme. But how many of us, we think that we are limitless in some way, that we got to get better. And we, we buy into these lies. We buy into the deceit that we are limitless, that we are self-sufficient. It's not only in your humanity, but we are deceived in our identity and purpose. The woman, Eve, she saw the fruit and he was like, oh, this is good. It's, it's, it's delightful to the eyes and it seems like it's good for the body and, and there's some satisfaction that's going to come out of it. And how many of us, we somehow think that our identity and purpose is going to be fulfilled by the things that the world is? Essentially, what Eve was saying is like, look, this tree that was put here is going to fulfill me more than God is going to fulfill me by the purpose that God originally gave me. Because their original purpose was what? To steward and tend the garden. It wasn't to eat of whatever fruit that they were given. And many of us, we, we are empty. We're empty because we're constantly deceived, thinking that these things in the world are going to fulfill us, are going to satisfy us. I mean, how many of us, we give ourselves over to things like substances, alcohol, video games, TV, Netflix, YouTube, social media. Like, those are all the normal things. Those are all the obvious things. But there are so many other things that we give ourselves to that you don't want to share with anyone about because you know it deep down inside that it's, it's terrible and it's eating away at your life. But somehow, desperately, you're trying to find some kind of fulfillment by turning to those things. I don't know, please don't raise your hand, how many of you are obsessed with the stock market right now? And every time you look at it, you're so depressed because you're like, oh my gosh, I've lost so much. 
Those of you who are trading right now, you know what I'm talking about, how depressing it is. And I'm like, you're like, no wonder you're so empty right now. You're like, oh, it's a spiritual battle because of 50 days of freedom. No, it's not. It's because your, your, your financial stock portfolio is, is crashing right now. And so much of your identity is in fulfillment and how much is in your bank account or how much is in your portfolio that no wonder you're struggling. Why? Because you connect so much of your identity. You've been so deceived that your finances and how much you make is going to fulfill you. For me, it was toxic productivity. Some of us on the other extreme, if we can't get fulfilled by some of these things, what do we turn to? We turn to just giving up. We're apathetic. We're depressed. We turn to self-hatred. We turn to self-harm. And those are not things that God wants for us, but we're so deceived in our identity, who we are and what we're created for, that we somehow think that these things in the world will fulfill us, but they never will. Two last things that we're deceived in our, not only in our identity and purpose, but also in our relationships. In our relationships. What happened? I didn't have it in that passage, but what happens to Adam and Eve after they take of the apple? They realize they're naked. They're ashamed. They, they have to cover themselves. And then when God comes looking for them in the garden, they hid. There's a separation between them and God. And we feel the effects of that today. We're broken. Our relationships are broken with one another and with God. I would, I would wager to guess that majority of us, we have some broken relationship with our family. Some sort of deep past or current issue that prevents us from really being reconciled to our families, to our siblings, to maybe... Uh, extended relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, some past hurt that we've gone through, that our family relationship used to possibly be good, but it's no longer the same. Or maybe it's never been good ever since you were raised, you were, you were a kid. And what we don't realize is that there has been separation between not only us and God, but also with one another. That because we are deceived in our relationships, we're, there's shame now. That the shame that we feel with our family Many of us, we don't realize our parents also are broken and, and, and hurting too. And when you put two hurting people together, what happens? A lot of bad things happen. And it's so hard to reconcile. It's so hard to experience that kind of forgiveness. It's so hard to bring people back together in that sense. No wonder we have anger issues in your family. Inauthenticity, always being guarded. No wonder some of us are very guarded. We don't want to get close to people. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to share. We always want to people, put people at our arm's length. On the other side, some of us, we're so desperate for relationships that what? We're attention-seeking. We're, we're constantly trying to please people in order to somehow get these relationships that we just never got in our childhood. Why? Because we've been deceived in our relationships. We've been broken in our relationships. We haven't been able to experience forgiveness and reconciliation. Why? Because of being deceived in the truth. And lastly is, in our character, we are deceived in our character. What did they end up doing? They disobeyed God. And we, in the same similar way, we are rebellious, unwilling to do what is right. Unwilling to, even though we know what is good, I don't think we have to raise our hands for this, all of us, we know what is right, we know what is loving, we know what obedience to God is, but how many of us, we do it consistently? We're rebellious. 
we're deceived in our character. We think that we're great, but we're not. And if you look at the whole list together, man, that's so discouraging. We're deceived. We're self-sufficient. We're empty. We're broken. We're rebellious. Like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And if we don't recognize, like some of us, we're like, oh, spiritual battle is just kind of like something out there, and I just got to live my own life. But I almost guarantee you, you take any issue, any struggle that you have, you could trace it back to some element of being deceived, some truth that you don't understand, something about what Satan has done in your life, gained a foothold to convince you that you are not who you are in God's eyes. And if we don't realize that, then we don't stand a chance in actually winning this battle. We have to realize it. We have to make the connection. The more we can make that connection, the better and the greater that we can actually understand what God is going to do to help us win the battle. Uh, we're going to talk more about this next week when we talk about strongholds. But there's this whole process called thought, emotions, and actions, T-E-A. It's that what you believe, what you think in your mind affects what you feel. And what you feel leads to what you do in your action. And so much as we're so stuck in their actions, we're so stuck in the struggles that we have that we don't realize when we trace it back to what we feel, we feel broken, we feel empty, we feel unsatisfied, we feel hurt. That leads us to what? Realize it really comes from what we believe about God and about ourselves. And until we realize that we are deceived in our minds, we're not going to be able to win the battle. I'm going to read this verse, sorry, not this verse, this quote by J.C. Ryle. Hopefully this is a little bit of an encouragement. He says this, So deeply planted are the roots of human corruption that even after we are born again, renewed, washed, sanctified, justified, and made living members of Christ, these roots remain alive at the bottom of our hearts like the leprosy in the walls of the house. We never get rid of them until the earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved. Like, so I'm just going to pause right there. What he's saying is that every single one of us, like some of us, we're deceived in the sense we think, oh, we're a Christian and everything is good and I just got to wait it out. But we don't realize that some of these things have been so ingrained in us for so many years that we actually live as functional atheists. That the way we live, we don't actually believe the things that we say we believe. You're like, I'm a child of God. I experience forgiveness. I am free from sin. I don't subscribe to any of that other stuff anymore. I don't live according to the world. You're like, I believe this. And intellectually, you do believe it. But then deep down inside, even though you said you believe it, what? We live every single day still in the old way. We still live believing the lies. We still live believing the half-truths that have been spoken to us all throughout our childhood. And then he continues on. He says, sin, no doubt, in the believer's heart has no longer dominion. It is checked, controlled, mortified, and crucified by the expulsive power of the new principle of grace. The life of a believer is a life of victory and not of failure. But the very struggles which go on within his bosom, within his heart, the fight that he finds it needful to fight daily, the watchful jealousy which he is obliged to exercise over his inner man, the contest between the flesh and the spirit, the inward groanings which no one knows but he who has experienced them, all testify to the same great truth, all show the enormous power and vitality of sin. Mighty indeed must that foe be 
who even when crucified is still alive. Man, I hope we understand this. I hope that we understand that the foe that we face is formidable, that he's not going to give up without a fight, that we don't think that somehow now I'm Christian and I believe all these things and everything is good, but that we have a foe, a devil, who's constantly trying to tear us down, who's constantly trying to deceive us, even now. As you're hearing this word, he's probably putting in your mind, oh, oh, I don't need to believe that. Oh, I already understand that. That's, that's obvious to me. But we don't believe it still deep down inside. If there's anything, we have to get down to what we really believe deep down in our hearts and to realize how deceived we really are. And only when we realize how deceived we really are can we say, okay, God, but I still believe that you have overcome. You have the victory. That's what we want to talk about in the second point, is not only we're recognizing Satan's deception, but we're also reclaiming God's salvation. We're reclaiming God's salvation in our lives. We're going to read the second part in verse 10 to 12. It says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the land, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So that was the deceiver. We talked about that war that was going on, and thankfully, John continues on and says, here's the good news. Here's the good guys winning. He says, there are four things that have come. He says, now, there are four things that have come, and I want to talk about those four things. The, first, the four things are salvation, it's power, it's authority, and the kingdom of God. I want to talk about those four things because these things are going to be super important for us to reclaim the salvation that we have. The first thing is salvation. Now, many of us who grew up in church, we have this idea that salvation is, um, is like a prayer that you say. It's a status that you have, right? Like salvation is this, Status where, like, now that I am uh, a believer in Jesus Christ, I can go to heaven. And, like, that's like the, 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 surf, the very super, most superficial level of salvation understanding. Like, that, that probably, like, if there's an iceberg, right, that is like the very tip of the tip of the tip of what salvation entails. There is so much more to salvation in Scripture than just, I'm going to go to heaven. There's so much more. And I want to I unpack some of that because like, when we look at Scripture, this word salvation all throughout the Old and New Testament has a, a, such a broad and rich meaning that is used to describe what salvation is going to look like for us. There's going to be a good number of verses up there. I'm not going to read them, but I just want to put them up there so you understand I'm not just making this stuff up in terms of salvation, but it's actually rooted in Scripture. The first thing that we see about salvation is that it means deliverance. It means deliverance. This, was, this word salvation it was used in Exodus when they were talking about how God would deliver the people of Israel from slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt, and deliver them into the promised land. You can put the, you can put the verse up there, Exodus 14, 13. What does that mean? When we are saved, we are delivered, we are freed. We're freed from slavery. You are freed from the bondage of slavery, of whatever addiction, whatever struggle that you're going through. We are, we are victorious. That's the ramification. Because salvation means deliverance. That means we are victorious. What, what else is the meaning? The second meaning is preservation. Salvation is preservation. 
in John 3.16, we love this verse. It talks about how, you know, if we believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal life. That, that no matter what circumstances we go through in this life, we're going to overcome. We're going to endure. That, that the result of this salvation and preservation is that we're going to endure. No matter what comes against us, we're not going to perish. We're going to endure. We're going to be faithful. That, that you know the ending of the story already. So, when, you know, I think especially you moviegoers that you hate those movies where you already know what the ending is. And you're like, oh, this movie is boring because we already know the end result. But like life, our lives, we know the ending, but it's still very exciting. But we can live in faith knowing that we know what's going to happen. We know we're going to endure. Another thing that it means, salvation means redemption. It means redemption. Isaiah 43 talks about how we're precious in our eyes and how he's giving us in exchange. Anytime you ransom someone, right, if, you, if there's a hostage situation, if there's someone willing to pay a lot of money to ransom you, to exchange you, well, you're very special to them. You're very important. So this salvation, this high idea of redemption, what does it mean? It means we're so loved. We are so loved that the God of the universe would pay his son so that he could rescue us. Man, we are loved. We're not just given a new status in heaven. We are embraced. We're cherished. What else does it mean? Salvation means restoration. Ephesians 2. God has prepared for things in advance, good things that he planned long ago for us to do. We could be used for God's purposes. Salvation isn't just a status. It's not just a, a ticket so you can go to heaven and you just kind of do whatever here that you want in Europe. No, he's got a purpose for you, a renewed purpose. Sometimes we feel like we're so worthless. There's nothing that we could be used for. No, God has a new purpose for us. Salvation's a part of that. God has something for you that he wants you to do, a plan for you, a ministry for you, someone that he wants you to reach out to. We could be used for God's purposes. Salvation also means reconciliation, Acts, 23, uh, Acts 2, 38. How we have the forgiveness of our sins. Now, we are forgiven by God, so we have reconciliation with God, but later on in Acts, you'll realize the community was so deep that there was reconciliation within the community. That now, we can have genuine community together. Why? Because of what salvation does in us. Salvation means reconciliation, that people who are once enemies, we can be reconciled together. Why? Because we're forgiven by God, and when we're forgiven by God, we can forgive other people. Salvation also means sanctification. 1 John 1, 9, you know, confessing our sins, but he also what? Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. Some of us are like, okay, I'm forgiven, but man, I still struggle, and I'm still messed up, and you know, I'm never going to. But what? We can be holy. We can be holy and reflect God's image. Like, we are being sanctified. Salvation, part of sanctification, sanctification, sorry, part of salvation is the process of sanctification. You're going to be holy. You're going to be good. You're going to live a more upright life than you used to. That's part of salvation. Two more things. You're like, oh my God, there's so many things. That's, that's the amazing thing about salvation. You're like, wow. Salvation is also adoption. It's also adoption, John 1, 12. We are children of God. We are children. We are God's children. We are embraced. We are invited into his, his household. He treats us no longer as slaves or servants, but we are friends. We are children of God. 
we are embraced. We are, it's, it's kind of a culmination of all of some, many things that we mentioned earlier all together. He is our heavenly father. You're like, man, I don't have a good family growing up. He is your new perfect heavenly father that loves you perfectly, that will never abandon you, never forsake you, never leave you, and admonishes you, loves you, even in truth, so that you can grow to become more like him. And then lastly, salvation is what? Healing. Salvation is healing. 1 Peter 2, 24, by his wounds you have been healed. We are healed. We are freed from sin, the sickness of sin, the consequences of sin. Like, and, and, and I'm, I'm looking at these verses, and maybe we can put all of them up all together on, on one page. Like, I, I want us to say these things together. And where it says, like, we are victorious, we will endure, we are loved, we can be used for God's purposes. I, w- I want us to say that together, saying, I am. I, I don't know why, I just feel like this is going to be helpful for us. Ready? I'll say it first, and then we all say it together. Ready? I am victorious. I will endure. I am loved. I can be used for God's purposes. I can have genuine community. I am holy and reflect God's image. I am God's child, and I am free from sin. Amen? I feel like that's, you know. How many of us, we believe that? That is what salvation entails. That is what salvation entails. And if you believe, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he's died for your sins, that he rose again from the grave, that is his power to overcome death and sin. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God just waiting to invite us back into his home, into heaven. And you believe those things, then these are the things that are available for you. This is true. This is scriptural. Every single one of these truths and promises are things that we have in Christ Jesus. And these are the very things that go against all the deceit that we're subject to for Satan. And and I feel like we should have some kind of Christian swagger, you know, some like, not like cockiness, but some sort of like, you know, hey, I'm a child of God. Like Satan, who, who the heck are you? Yeah, 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 you try to deceive, but man, I'm victorious. I'm going to endure. I have community. I, God has a purpose for me. I'm going to be holy. I'm made in God's image. I'm God's child. I'm free from sin. You can't do anything against me. Now the question is, how many of us, we walk in that way? How many of us, we believe those things? I think we might believe those things intellectually, but again, the challenge is, how many of us, we believe it day to day, minute to minute, moment to moment, in the depths of our hearts, as we interact with people, as we go to work, as we study in our classes? This is salvation. This is the salvation that we have to reclaim. Some of us are saying, okay, Pastor, I know, I know, I know. I've heard this before. But I don't believe that there's, you know, this, I, I don't believe I can embody it. I don't believe I can live it out. I don't, I don't have enough strength. I don't have, you know, the, the ability to do that. Okay, let's talk about power and authority of Christ. All right. He, he says, we now have salvation and then power. And then he says, kingdom of God and authority. I'm going to combine authority and power because they're very tightly connected. Authority, what is, what is authority? Authority is the right or the role 
to rule or have some kind of dominion over something, right? Authority is a position or a title that you, you have in order to say, I can do something. Power is the ability to exercise that authority. You need both. You can't have one or just the other. If you have power but no authority, then you're going to be reckless. You're going to make, you know, create a lot of damage. If you have authority but no power, you're going to be ineffective. You need both. And we have both. That's the good thing. We have both. Jesus Christ, he has been given authority from the Father. We see that in John 12. Again, I'm not going to read it, read it but the verse is going to be up there. John 12, he says, I don't speak on my own authority, but he gets authority from the Father. And he gives us that authority and power. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. How many of we know this verse? He says, all what? All authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, observe all they commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, he doesn't just give us a blank check and says, now my authority is your authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now you're my delegates. You're my representatives. You're my disciples. So we are given a delegated authority to cast out demons, to do all these kind of things that, that the disciples were able to do. We are now given that authority. And then we are given that power. Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit speaks to the disciples, or Jesus says that. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. We have authority and power beyond all imagination. And this is the challenge is do we believe it? Do we believe that we have this authority and power? That the salvation that has been given to us, we have every right to claim it. That you can say with confidence, yes, I am a child of God and I believe it by faith. Why? Not because of my own authority, not because of my own power, but because of Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit that he's given to me. Like so many of us, we try to do things on our own authority and on our own power. No wonder we constantly fail. You're like, okay, please don't raise your hand. How many of us were students and, you know, this past exam season, you were like, okay, I'm not going to procrastinate this season. Like, I feel like that happens every exam season. You're like, I'm not going to procrastinate this time. And who are you? Whose authority are you going to do it in? Okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to set my calendar. You know, you're doing it in human authority, human power. How many of us in your workplace, you're like, I'm not going to be anxious tomorrow when I go to work? Does that work? No pun intended. It doesn't. You can't help yourself when you feel anxious. You just feel it. And no matter how much you try out of your own authority, you're like, okay, I got my meditation app today. Mindfulness. Now, Apple upgraded their mindfulness app. Ooh, you know, I got that. Going to get rid of my anxiety today. No, that's the, the sin apple, right? No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an I'm a Apple fan, though. But. but why? We do it based on worldly or human authority. And we're not claiming the authority that God has. Look, we have no power to, to change our lives, but who? God has the authority. He has the power. He's given it to us. And, and some of us, we struggle so much with this power and authority thing because maybe we believe that God is all-knowing. We, we believe he's all-powerful, but we don't believe that's for us. And I know that's a struggle for me because, like, I've struggled so much with, God, I believe that you're powerful. I see you working all these other people, but... 
what about me? I, are you willing to work in my life just as I see you work in other people's lives? And man, those, those lies and those doubts constantly plague my mind every single day. And, and sometimes in the moment, like, it gets the best of me, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. But it was, it was really encouraging because uh, I was in an accountability group, and, you know, this one person asked me, like, hey, you know, Pastor Bo, do you have any praises today? I'm like, uh, it's been a hard season. I don't know if I have any praises in this moment right now. And that person was like, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you think about the last year, the last couple of years? Like, how has God changed you? How has God worked in your life? And I began to think, I was like, actually, God has been really good. Because in the moment, I can't think of any. Because in the moment, it's all about my struggle, my authority, my power. But when I look at the big spectrum of eternity and what God is doing, I'm like, wow, God, there's so many things that you have done that I, I just had no power, no ability to do, but you've been doing in my life that I had no, no, no ability to create in myself. Like, and I wasn't sharing this with them, but I was just thinking to myself, what are some things that God has done that I, I had no authority, no power to do on my own? And I realized, like, man, all throughout my life, I struggled so much with people-pleasing, like worrying what people would think of me. And now, like, those people that spend time, you know, in my life group or myself or, you know, in the LCG discipleship relationship, they're like, you had a hard time speaking truth to people? You don't seem to struggle with that at all, you know? Like, I feel like you're always, like, calling us out and, you know, trying to encourage us to follow God. And I'm like, yeah, I struggled with people-pleasing so much growing up. They're like, I don't believe it. I'm like, wow, that's the power of God working in my life. I, uh, th- those, some of you don't believe that in high school, I, there was a speech class I had to take. I was terrified of public speaking. Terrified. I wanted to be down from the podium as soon as possible. And now you're like, Pastor, it's uh, been over 50 minutes. Can you finish up your sermon? Like, well, you guys talk way too long. I didn't, I didn't know I had this in me. that I could just keep talking. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, please, Pastor, stop talking. But I want to believe that's the power of God that enabled me to share God's word. I mean, there's one more thing I wanted to share, especially because, you know, a lot of things have to do with family. I never had an inkling that my relationship with my family, especially my parents, could be ever reconciled. I grew up, you know, like with a lot of different things going on. But I just, I just never felt like we could really be on the same page because always the, the thing that they expected me to do, like for them, they thought it was out of love, but for me, I just felt like it was more burdens and more expectations and realized there was a big miscommunication, but you know, that really affected our relationship. Now, I call my parents like every two to three days. I mean, honest confession, part of it is because it's wonderful virtual babysitting, because it's helpful. Like, it's amazing. You put the iPad there and Noah just kind of sits there and like they entertain me, and it's like father's break, you know? It's like, it's amazing. But I feel like my relationship with them has changed so dramatically over the last four or five years. And I know it's not because of what I could do. It's been the power of God. And and I think sometimes we just miss out on the fact that God has been working in our lives. His authority and his power has been working actively in our lives to experience the, the fruits of salvation that we so long to see. But we just don't recognize it. We don't adhere to it. We don't claim it. We don't reflect back and see how it's been working so they encourage us to apply it in our lives day to day in the future. And one last uh, thing that people might be bringing up with me is like, okay, Pastor Bo, I see it, but you know, isn't all this stuff not only going to be perfect until we get to heaven? Like, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up because 
I don't want to expect too much because if I expect too much, then I'm going to get let down. Look at the kingdom of God. Right? We, have, we have salvation, power, authority of Christ, and the kingdom of God. And that is so true. Yes, the kingdom of God. Anytime you look at the kingdom of God, you see that in the Gospels, you realize Jesus constantly is referring to the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Mark 1, verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospels. There's a tension here. It says the kingdom of God is here. It's here. It's right now. But it's also coming at the same time. It's already in your midst. But it is not quite fulfilled. And we have to wrestle with this tension. That God's kingdom, His salvation, fully consummated, fully perfected, fully completed, it is available to us right now. But yet it will come in its fulfillment completely when Jesus comes back. And we have to deal with that tension. But I think so many of us, we lean toward the side of like, well, if it's not going to come till later, I might as well give up. But we don't realize it's in effect right now. These truths that we have, it's right now. You can experience endurance right now. You can experience reconciliation right now. You can experience hope right now. You can experience freedom from sin right now. And those are things that we have to believe. And if there's one thing that we, we can put our faith in, if we remember back in verse 11 and 12, what, is we, what, what does it say that we've done? It says, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for their loves their lives, they love not their lives even to death. How do we have these things? How do we hang things in the balance if things are already but not yet? What do we do? Pastor, what do we do? How can we claim these things? Is you put your hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. You put your hope every single day in the blood of Jesus Christ. You allow the, the good news, the gospel, to be renewing our minds every single day. And you live your life in a way that's reflective that this reality of the kingdom of God is here. I want to give us just one last reference. Because you're like, you know, how does that work? Do I just, you know, just repeat this mantra to me? Or do, do I just, like, constantly just say, okay, blood of the lamb, blood of the lamb. No, no, it's not, that's, not, that's not what we do. The great irony of freedom is that the way we live our lives in freedom is, yes, renewing the mind, but it's living in a way that we do not love our own lives. We love God more than anything else. And it's when we love God, that's where we're able to experience and claim the salvation that God has given us. John 12, verse 24 to 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Remember, in verse 11, it says, they love not their lives even unto death. Those are the people who conquered by the blood of the Lamb. And what does it say in John? He says, whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever does not love his life, but he hates his life in this world, but he loves God instead, those are the ones who are going to keep their lives for eternal life. That's my encouragement, is let's live. Let's live for God. Let's live in the reality of his salvation. Let's live knowing that he is the one who provides us all the benefits, all the fruits. Let's claim that, not ourselves, not our world, not our human, not our deception. Let's claim God's truth and say, that's our life. Let's say, I hate these things. I hate the deception. I hate the lies. I hate the, 
the consequences. And I want to turn to God and his salvation and his benefits, his power, his authority. And that's how I'm going to experience this eternal life that he's given to me. And that's why when we say less of me, more of you, we recognize the salvation in our lives. We recognize the authority and power. We recognize the kingdom of God that we can win the battle of freedom against deception because of Christ's salvation. That's what we can believe. I want to give us some next steps here, just a couple for us to internalize and live out this coming week. The first is that we need to identify areas of deception in our lives. We have to identify those areas of deception. If we don't identify it, if we're oblivious, if we're just like, why la di da I don't know what it is, then we're going to be following into it every single day and not knowing that we're not living in the salvation that God has given to us. You have to know what it is. You have to name it. That's going to take some reflection. That's why we have life group. That's why I want to challenge you in life group this week. Don't hold anything back. Share openly. Share vulnerably. Because the more you hold back, the less you're going to know what you're deceived by. You're not going to experience freedom. And you're, but you're like, Pastor Bo, but I know it in my mind. You don't really know it until you verbalize it. Second thing is internalize the effects of salvation. There's no better way to internalize that salvation but by what? Knowing scripture. There's so many times where you're in deceit, but you don't know what to do. And you're like, oh, I don't know what Bible verse this is. And there's no way you're going to connect to what God's truth is unless you have scripture in your mind. That's what we've been talking about, memorizing verses. That's why we have these memory verses available for you. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if you're like, man, I feel worthless. I don't feel like I can't do anything. And you're like, Psalm 139, verse 14, what is it? Okay, if you say it like that, I don't know if you're going to believe it. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, God. My soul knows it very well. And if you memorize it, you know it well, then you can say it like that. And you can come against any lie that Satan comes against you with and say, you know what? I'm a child of God. And Lord, even as I'm memorizing the verses, I know that if I abide in your word, that I'm truly going to be your disciple and then I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. Come on. How many of we, we've been encouraged by that because you've been doing that this past week. And those verses are now speaking truth to you and allowing you to internalize the salvation, the identity that God has given to you. But how many of us, I want to challenge you, those of us who have not memorized those verses, you can't do that. Because why? You don't know what the verses are. Internalize the effects of salvation. Memorize those verses. There's three more this coming week. Romans 8, 21, 1-2. This is awesome. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Anytime you feel condemned, right there. There's no condemnation. Revelations 12, 10-11. That's the passage we studied today. And Ephesians 3. Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How amazing is that? All of the spiritual blessings, all of the things of salvation we just talked about, he's blessed us with. Let's internalize that, the effects of salvation. Lastly, is invite the Holy Spirit to work in your life this week. Let's invite him, because it's his authority and his power. Let's invite him before we come into life group to say, God, I want you to do something special as we meet together. Let's invite him as we come into encounter on Friday to say, God, I don't know what you have in store for me, but come Holy Spirit, work in my heart, work in my life. So that I can
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.